listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey, this is Aaron Fishman. Thanks for tuning in to our special Western Conference Final Show, focusing on the Houston Rockets as they aim to halt the Golden State Warriors' three-year finals appearance streak. For the occasion, we've brought back Randy Harvey, former sports editor of the Houston Chronicle, and the LA Times and Baltimore Sun before that. Since retiring on March 1st, Randy and his wife moved to Pasadena, where he's continued to follow the Rockets from afar. With the series tied at 1, the Rockets stand three wins away from their first NBA Finals berth in 23 years. Standing in their way, the mighty Warriors, who have won two of the past three titles. This season's Rockets won a league-best 65 games after adding superstar point guard Chris Paul who had never appeared in a conference final, along with 3 and D wings P.J. Tucker and Luke Baamute. Of course, the team is centered around James Harden, whose MVP caliber season has vaulted his squad into this position. As the Western Conference Finals has effectively turned into a best-of-five series, without further ado, let's check in with Mr. Harvey for more on this heavyweight matchup. Randy, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be uh, with you. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. There's obviously so much interesting stuff to discuss surrounding these Houston Rockets. Having a historic season, best team in the league during the regular season. And they're going for that title. But first, they have to dethrone the Golden State Warriors championships in two of the last three seasons been to three straight NBA Finals. But before we delve into that exciting Western Conference Finals series, I just want to ask about you briefly. You've had a lot going on in your life recently. How are you enjoying your retirement so far? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I retired from, from the Houston Chronicles, great uh, newspaper, great sports section. Uh, loved our Rockets coverage by uh, Jonathan Fagan and you know our columnist Brian Smith and Jerome Solomon and Jenny Dahl Creech and uh, it was great working with that group. But now I uh, have, have moved back to Los Angeles and freelancing and doing a weekly sports media columnist, uh, column, sorry, excuse me, for the um, Los Angeles Times. Very cool. And so you're now back in Los Angeles, as you said, but fortunately you did get to witness firsthand the bulk of the Rockets regular season there in Houston. What were the vibes like as the regular season was winding down just around the city and the Rockets fan base as they were having this phenomenal season? Well, I think it always came down to the one thing is, okay, the, the, the Rockets, they had their best team. They've had good teams, and this is their best team that they've had in, in years. And now can they beat the Warriors? And I think that was that was the question all along. I mean, I don't think... Rockets fans ever thought they were, I mean, I think Rockets fans have the expectation always they would get to the Western Conference finals and then, but it was, they were going to have to go through Golden State 
And, you know, that's exactly what's happened. They ended up winning 65 games this season by virtually every measure. That wins-loss record I just cited, point differential, net rating, a slew of other statistics. They were the best team in the league. And that's saying a lot in a league that has these Warriors in it as well. But with all that said, there are so many analysts and fans going into this series that were acting like the Rockets were heavy underdogs and that almost everything would have to go right for them to take down Golden State. Do you think that's fair? Should the Rockets be treated as the underdogs in this way? Yeah, until you, until you beat the team that is the team, you're not the team. And so, yeah, I, I think it's entirely fair. I mean, particularly because they have this reputation of, you know, playing better in the regular season than, than they do when it gets to crunch time in the playoffs. So, you know, they've got to shed that. And, and the, the only way they can, you know, sort of get rid of that kind of reputation is they've got to beat the Warriors. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And these two teams easily boast the top two postseason net ratings around the league. They have the best two offenses. They're winning games before they ran into each other easily. And except for a a few lapses um, for each team, they've been looking pretty good. And so now we're seeing a, a very competitive series, at least through the first two games. During the regular season, they matched up three times. Houston took two of those. Getting now to the home court advantage, if there is one. So over the last three postseasons in which the Warriors made the finals each time, they never had to be on the road to start a series. The Rockets have home court advantage for this playoff series. They went 34-7 and during the regular season, split the first two at home. Do you see that having any decisive impact on the series? Yeah, the Warriors have to be feeling pretty good about this. I mean, I mean, if if you'd asked them, well, you know, what do you want going into this? What do you what do you think? I mean, they would have said, what we want is two zero. But God, if we get one, if we steal one there and then get to come home, you know, we're going to be happy. So really, they have home court advantage now. So yeah, I think that that game one was very significant victory for the Warriors, even more significant than than the game two victory was for the Rockets. I think conversely, though, you could argue that I I know they're the defending champions, the Warriors, that is, and they're so good. But I think you could also make a case that this year's Rockets team is so good that it may be difficult for the Warriors to beat them twice at Oracle over the next couple games. And so if the Rockets are able to steal one, which I think is entirely possible, then the Rockets then steal back home court and a potential game seven would be in Houston. So in your mind, I know you see the Warriors as the rightful favorites until the Rockets are able to dethrone them. But do you think that that could be key for the Rockets success, just that they have a game seven if it gets there in their home arena? Yeah, although I, you know, the, the Rockets home advantage is, um, I mean, as we saw in game one, I mean, I think the crowd was louder in game one than it was in loud two. It was earlier arriving. It was, it, it, there was a better atmosphere before game one than game two. And, and they lost game one and they won game two. So I, you know, their home crowd advantage, I don't think the crowd there is 
as, as effective as it is in some other arenas. You know, so I, I, I just, let's just throw out home court advantage and let's just say, mm-hmm. if the Rockets, wherever they are, if they play like they did in game one, they're not going to beat the Warriors. If they play like they did in game two, they are. And yeah, and I don't think it matters where they play. Yeah. I think the better team will win. Let's just say that. Whoever plays better will win. Yeah, who plays more points in, in four? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what? That's a great prediction. <laughs> Charles Barkley esque. <laughs> um, so, well, you, at least you don't have at least you don't have the Warriors winning in three like he did. <laughs> in three. <laughs> um, also, there is this discussion about: Is it going to be the team that's hungrier? And a lot of people are saying that's the Rockets because they've yet to win a championship with this group. Or is it the team with the championship experience? And I think that's kind of a little bit of an interesting debate. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. 11 different current Warriors have won at least one title. Not a single current Rockets player has a championship other than Trevor Ariza. And James Harden is the only other Houston player to have appeared in an NBA Finals series. Steve Kerr was asked about this, and he stood up for his guys. He said, no, I like where we are. Our guys have rings. That's a good position to be in. To me, the hardest championship is the first one, and that's what the Rockets are facing here. Do you buy into that at all, that the hungrier team, a la the Rockets, may have some strange advantage here? No, not really. I, I mean, I, yeah, I covered the, the, the Lakers and the – early eighties magic and cream and those guys, and they won championships and they weren't less hungry to win more. I mean, it made them more hungry to win more. And the, and Larry bird Celtics, they were, they weren't less hungry The Bill Russell Celtics. I mean, go however far you want to go back. I mean, it didn't make them less hungry because they won championships. You know, I don't think that you think Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and those guys aren't hungry for a, another championship, Michael Jordan, all those championships he won, he was still hungry to win more. You know, I think that's a that's a tangent of the conversation. But when it comes down to it, I don't. I think both teams are really hungry. And again, it's just going to come down to you know which team. Show. I mean, the the Warriors came. They were incredible in Game One, coming out on the road. You know, and and against the 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 you know the, the team as you mentioned. You know, had all the you know the best stats in the NBA and and the the most wins. And did the war? Did the Rockets look hungry in Game One? They, they didn't to me. I mean, the the Warriors looked like the hungry team. Now the you know the Rockets got slapped around, so so they came back in Game Two and they played harder. You know, and the Warriors you know had an off night. So I mean, which is the which is the Rockets team we're going to see? If we see that Rockets team from Game Two, then then they're going to win it. But if, again, like I said, they didn't seem that hungry in Game One. Yeah, and as you mentioned. There are times we've seen so far this postseason that uh, the Rockets look like they're a little bit flat, not looking as motivated as they need to be. But there have also been times when they've been completely dominant, especially on the offensive end. We saw in round one against the Timberwolves um, in game four, they had a 50-point third quarter against the Jazz, one of the stingiest defenses in the regular season. They put up a 70-point first half in Game 3. How explosive and game-changing can the Rockets' offense be when they're on? 
Oh, incredible. We saw that in the regular season. And now I think we saw some adjustments from D'Antoni, even though he says, he says, I didn't make any adjustments. You know, we just played our game. No, they made some adjustments. They played that smaller lineup, what they call the tuck wagon um, lineup more. So I think they, they made some great adjustments from game one to game two. And then, you know, had had the, the fortune that, that, you know, Steph Curry went from, you know, one for eight from three and, and Clay Thompson, you know, only took four threes. And so, but, you know, I think probably some of that had to do with the Rockets. You know, they're, they're you know, wanting to bounce back from game one and playing harder. And they, they played a lot harder. And I mean, how many times, Lauren, have we heard D'Antoni in this playoff say, we've got to play harder? Well, I never heard Pat Riley say that about the Lakers, the, the Magic Johnson Lakers, or I never heard them say that about the Michael Jordan Bulls. We've got to play harder. But he's kind of, this is the, the third or fourth time in the playoffs he said, we can win if we just do our thing, but we've got to play harder. And um, I don't know why he has to keep reminding them of that, but that's, you know, he knows he has to. So that's that's part of it with the Rockets. They need to come out from the very beginning, you know, and make a statement like they did in game two. I think part of that is sort of the style they play as one of the more ISO-heavy teams that we've seen, especially in um, recent memory, you think of efficient offenses being predicated on ball movement the old Spurs model of the of the mid-2010s. But with the Rockets going so iso-heavy, it seems to be a little bit more tiring for James Harden and Chris Paul, but it's been effective for them. Harden being the odds-on MVP favorite for the regular season, he had 41 points in Game 1 in their loss, an inefficient 27 in, game, in their Game 2 win, but with the role players stepping up. It's such a difference in styles between the Rockets, who are ISO heavy, as we mentioned, and the Warriors, who are so predicated on crisp ball movement. How do you see that playing out for the rest of the series? Well, I, you know, I apologize for not having this stat in front of me, but how many 50-50 balls did the Rockets get in Game 1? I, I wouldn't think very many. But in Game 2, it looked like they were getting almost every 50-50 ball. You know, in, even with their ISO play and the ball you know, bouncing out, uh, farther than it does when you take those three points. I mean, they were really hustling for those for those fifty fifty balls, and that I think that's what the series is going to come down to: is who's going to have that stamina, that fortitude to get those fifty fifty balls. And I, I don't think it's style of play as much as it is. I mean, and I, they did have a stylistic difference. I mean, they, they went with that tuck wagon lineup a lot more, the smaller lineup, and I think that helped. You know, in the in the fifty fifty balls, you know, they're it's a little quicker lineup. And a lot of this, because the teams are really good. Both teams are really good. I think at the end of the day, we're going to say it came down to effort. If you were to identify an X factor for the Rockets, maybe, I guess, P.J. Tucker or how well Clint Capella is able to play against the Warriors small lineup or um, some other uh, ancillary players for the Rockets like Eric Gordon, Trevor Reza, who would it be? Oh, I think it's going to be, I mean, from what we've seen in the first two games, it's going to be Tucker. I mean, he's, he's going to be consistent defensively, but if you get the, the, the points that you got from him in game two, that, that makes a big difference. And then, and then you've got, you, you know, the, you, you've got to have some guys come off the bench and, you know, Eric Gordon was like, was great. I mean, so you gotta, you gotta have that. And you gotta have these guys on. I mean, you, cause I mean, Clay and Steph and, and, 
Those guys, they can beat anybody, but so can the Rockets. So who's on and who's off? I mean, the, the Rockets weren't on in game one, the, you know, and for whatever reason. And the Warriors, I mean, if Steph Curry goes one for eight in every game from now on, the, you know, the, yeah, the Rockets may go up there and sweep the Warriors in the, in the, at Golden State. I think an interesting dynamic that we've seen uh, play out in game two and also somewhat in the Warriors regular season and leading up to this is that often, as we all know, Kevin Durant is one of the most dominant offensive players that we've seen. But if you get Golden State to run their entire offense through him, ISOs through him, he'll get a, a ton of points, but it does throw off their offensive style a little bit. Yeah. An interesting yeah. stat I saw after game two was that if you look at Kevin Durant's top seven scoring outputs this season in the regular season in playoffs, the Warriors actually lost six of those games. Uh, in game two, their assists were way down, and only it seemed like Durant was able to get into an offensive rhythm. Is that something that the Rockets might be able to exploit a strategy? I guess. I mean, I don't think you just leave Durant open thinking that, okay, if he scores a lot of points, they'll lose. But I think that, yeah, you're, yeah, you really hit it. I mean, the, the Warriors depend on passing the ball a lot. And when the ball, you know, sort of stops, you know, and doesn't get passed around a lot, they're not as effective. But I also think sometimes they, you know, this, you know, 300 passes a game thing that they, that they have, sometimes I think that's stuck in their heads too much and they overpass. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Durant's a great player. But yeah, if the ball stops with him and he doesn't, I mean, even if he scores and nobody else is, really gets into their rhythm, you know, like Curry obviously didn't last night, you know, then then yeah, that that affects their style of play. So this is Chris Paul's first conference finals appearance. He was previously sort of, as we mentioned a little bit in the opening, unfairly branded as sort of a choker in the postseason um, because of often, I think, things that were outside of his control. Um, If you go back and actually look at his numbers in his postseason appearances, he's been pretty dominant. First of all, what, what do you make of that stigma some have attached to Chris Paul that he's never before this point led a team to a conference final? And also... Um, how would you assess how he changes the game for the Rockets since he's been added to the team? Well, first of all, I mean, if you, if you go back to the, the his time with the Clippers, and let's just don't go back any farther than that. But with the Clippers, I mean, they, he obviously there was a Blake Griffin problem. I think they both had a, you know, whose team is it? And then and then with that team, always you got the Austin Rivers thing going on with you know Doc's son and his number of minutes and why is he playing now and, and what, so there were, there, there's a lot of dynamics with that team that I don't think were Chris Paul's fault. So I, I don't know that that's a fair to attach that stigma to him. And obviously we've seen what the Rockets did with him. And I think he, he and Harden have a completely different relationship than, than what he and Blake Griffin had. And I, you know, I don't think Harden feels like has to be my team. You know, I don't think Chris Paul feels like it has to be my team. Uh, but it allows Antonio a lot of, you know, a lot of leeway when he, when he, you know, I mean, he doesn't need to have both of them on the court at the same time all the time either. And so that gives Harden some breaks. That gives Chris Paul some breaks. And then when they're out there together, they kind of split up the court and just sort of wherever it goes, 
you know, they take over. And I think they've, they've made, they've, they've um, used that to their advantage. I don't sense the jealousy on, on this team that, that there was with the Clippers. When Paul and Harden are together on the floor, the Rockets have been dominant. They've also been, um, throughout the season, used separately pretty often. Mike D'Antoni has rarely played a meaningful minute with not at least one of them on the court. And it exactly, adds yeah. to the versatility in lineups that the Rockets have been able to throw out and the versatility in um, styles that they've been able to play on the offensive end. And as you alluded to, with uh, another primary ball handler, when Harden um, is not on one game, Chris Paul is able to pick up the slack and, and vice versa. So the Rockets don't run into a situation like uh, how they exited last year's playoffs, I believe. Yeah, I mean, they're both great players and they're both guards and they get along. <laughs> they get along really well. And they've totally bought in the, the system that they bought into each other. And, you know, so, you know, I, it's been a lot of fun to watch them. Yeah, and this is also the first time Mike D'Antoni's been back to the conference finals as a head coach for 12 years after appearing in two straight with the Phoenix Suns. It's kind of interesting. There's that Suns connection between the head coach, D'Antoni, as the former head coach of the Phoenix Suns and Steve Kerr, formerly in the executive office there. How would you assess overall this coaching matchup so far? Well, I think the Warriors obviously were more prepared for game one. And that's because they'd been there before. And um, and Kerr, I think, is, is is a great coach. He's got his, you know, his death lineup or his Hamptons five or whatever, and he uses it very effectively. And, and then, but, but in, the, in the playoffs, I mean, the reason I think the playoffs are so fascinating, you know, with the, with the format of the playoffs is then you get to see each coach and how they adjust. So was D'Antoni going to adjust going into game two? And, um, you know, even though he says, well, I didn't change anything. Well, you know, if you look out there, yeah, he, he did. I mean, they played a lot different and he did change some things. They, you know, they, they were much more effective and much more efficient, um, you know, passing the ball. And, and so, you know, whether it was just that he talked to them and said, okay, guys, we got to play harder. We've got to play different. You got to, you know, I don't, I don't know. He did change. He did tweak the lineup a little bit. Um, and so I think D'Antoni, you know, you know, won the game two coaching matchup and, you know, we'll see what happens in game two. We'll see what Kerr comes back with. And, and and that's where it really gets interesting if you're really analyzing the game. Just, okay, what's Kerr going to do for, for game two? And you've got, you know, there's fortunate for the Warriors. They've got, you know, a, a few days to, to do it, and they're at home. And I think that's a so – we'll see. Yeah, I think with two great coaches and two great teams like these – that's one of the more fascinating things, just to see the game-by-game adjustments that these coaches employ or try to employ. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Randy Park. This is Ian Levy, NBA editor for Fansided and The Step Back, and you're listening to On the NBA Beat. I did want to touch on a little more about the staggering that Lauren was detailing earlier. And so it did work extremely well during the regular season, as he noted. When Harden was off the court and Paul was on, the Rockets were still just so strong. And we think maybe a lot of that had to do with it being deeper rotations being played by the opponents, whereas now it's in the playoffs, the rotations are shortening. 
And so when Harden's off the court and it's just Paul, it's not as effective against these teams that have a lot of their stars still on the court. And so I think that's something else that D'Antoni needs to look into. It's a, it's hard on Harden to play so many heavy minutes, but judging how these playoffs have gone and the first two games of the series, the Rockets just haven't been quite as good or near as good, I should say, with Harden on the bench. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's the playoffs. You're going to, you know, you're not going to have any nights off in the playoffs. You're always going to be meeting a playoff team. So yeah, the teams are going to be better. And also these teams, they, you know, they're smart. They're, they're going to attack Harden defensively. And so he's got to get some rest. And so, you know, he's not going to be effective at the end of it. Now, neither one of these first two games have been close games. Um, so it hasn't really mattered what happened at the end of the game. But you could tell in game one, he was really tired. And it's because the Warriors just went at him, went at him, went at him when he was on the defensive end. So you got to get him some rest. And so I know you want him out there, but, you know, guy needs to rest. Yeah, so I, think I agree I think they're fine. With, yeah, I think they're fine with the rotation they have. And also with Harden having to play so much when he's off the court, Houston really needs those role players to step up. Yeah. Like we said earlier in game two, Ariza and PJ Tucker were huge. So was Eric yeah. Gordon. Eric Gordon, yeah. Hitting their threes, defending well. In December, yeah, it was in December, Daryl Morey famously said that beating the Warriors is the only thing we think about. Yeah. Adding PJ Tucker and Luke Bamute, these three and D guys who add wing versatility. He admitted really the primary motivation behind those moves was matching up with these Golden State Warriors who also have a lot of wing depth. And unfortunately, Bamute has had some shoulder issues. Mm-hmm. He returned from injury early in these playoffs. And he's looked banged up. He struggled to finish layups in game one and barely saw court time in game two. If Tucker struggles a little bit, how much hope do you have in Ba Mute to be able to bounce back and start playing heavier minutes and make a bigger impact? Well, I'm not the trainer there, so I don't know how bad his shoulder is. Yeah. And, and also, I, think, I really think, you know, I, I really thought where they would improve later in the season in the plus. Because I thought Ryan Anderson would contribute a lot more, and he's kind of disappeared. Um, Nene, he's kind of disappeared, um, and so I, I don't know if those guys just aren't up to it, or if if they just need more more time to get. But you really can't, you know, you, you can't give them time to, you know, to okay, get out there and play a game and hope you do well in the <laughs> at this stage of the playoffs. I mean, yeah. you got to be, you got to have some assuredness that. If Ryan Anderson's out there, that he's going to contribute. If Mbappé Butte is out there, he's got to contribute. You know, if Nene is out there, they got, whoever's out there has got to contribute. This question will be moot if PJ Tucker keeps playing like he has been, which has been phenomenally. But do you think there's a chance that Joe Johnson will see any time? He's barely played. He's a veteran presence, but his better days are clearly behind him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if we haven't seen him have any impact by now, I don't think, I mean, they know something that we don't, that he's just not ready. Yeah, or maybe this particular matchup, if it was a a team that didn't have Kevin Durant or something, I I don't think the Rockets would want Joe Johnson, no offense to him, at this stage of his career, one-on-one guarding Kevin Durant. 
Although no, no one can good. really, yeah, guard Durant one on one. I did want to touch on as we wind down, and we really appreciate your time, Clint oh, Capella. Sure. He's not even 24 years old, so he'll be turning 24 before Game Three, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. But showing immense strides every single season. It's hard to remember that he's just that that young. Um, he has a big challenge ahead of him, matching up with Draymond Green and protecting the paint. But he's done it so well these entire playoffs. Everyone talks about the wings. We've done it too. But how important and valuable is he to this team's success? Well, I, mean, I don't think he's a key factor in this series yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think they've, they've gone with this other lineup. And, you know, Capella played, played 31 minutes uh, the other night. But, he, I mean, I think this is a great matchup for him. Um, and I agree with you. He's, he's had, he's had a great season. And John Lucas, when he worked with him in the off season said, you know, he's the Swiss bank. I mean, he's going to make so much money in free agency because he's improved that much and he's going to keep improving. But the, the Warriors, they move the ball around so much. You know, they, they have such great ball movement that, that, you know, Capella, you know, has a, you know, like anybody would have a tendency to sort of drift, you know, out from under the paint. So, you know, he's probably not as effective against the Warriors as he would be against other teams. But I mean, I mean he's had an incredible season. And if they can find a way to really get him into the into the flow in, in this series and on the pick and roll, and those are two, yeah, he, he could be the difference maker. Yeah, and as you alluded to, Capella is going to be hitting restricted free agency this offseason. There have already been rumors that the Suns, plan to offer him a quote near max contract he arguably won his matchups against carl anthony towns and rudy will in the first two rounds of the playoffs both of those considered among the top tier of centers in the league exactly. um, so yes uh, the rockets will have a big decision ahead of them in the offseason if if that comes to that before we let you go of course we've talked about it a lot uh we'd be remiss to not get on air a prediction from you for the rest of the series in terms of games and winner uh well i mean i i these first two games have been so different and i think you know that it's either let me say I, i think whoever comes out if there's a dominant team in game three um, then that team wins the series. And I think either team could dominate in game three. If it's a real close game, then I think it's up for grabs. So I, I know that's not the answer you wanted, but I'm just not in the prediction business. And, and, uh, you know, if Charles Barkley says the, 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 the Warriors are so good, they're going to win the four, the, you know, the, the best of seven in three games. And look how wrong he, look how wrong yeah. he was. Yeah. He knows more than I do. So I don't know. I, I mean, Game three is really going to be, I think, crucial. And if Golden State comes out and just buries the Rockets like they did in game one, if the Rockets don't come out prepared to play, then I think it's going to probably end in five or six Do you in least, favor of the Warriors. Do you view this series, at least, as sort of as a lot of people do, the de facto finals with either team coming out having a very good chance at beating the team that comes out of the East? A very good chance, sure, but I don't. But I mean, look at the Celtics. I mean, they look great in games one and two. They're they're really well coached. 
you know, they've got a very well-balanced team. I mean, there's no one guy you can shut down on that team and say, okay, we beat them if we shut down that guy. You know, I mean, they're, they're fun to watch. I mean, so I, I, you know, I think it would be a mistake for either team to, to sort of buy into that, that, that line we're hearing that this is really the finals. Yeah. The Celtics have been given even odds or sometimes even being heavy under odds going into every round of this postseason <laughs> and they've defied all expectations. So yeah, I, I agree with you that you shouldn't cut count that, them out so early and also the other team as LeBron James. So you don't want to count <laughs> exactly. him out either. Yeah. It was great talking to you again, Randy Harvey. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, um, great being with you. Thanks again and I hope you enjoy the rest of your retirement. <laughs> okay, so you're up the last a long time. <laughs>